Allen on politics. Together we'll stand. Hello and welcome to Allen on Politics. What follows is a slightly edited recording of an episode that live streamed on YouTube Saturday, February 5th at 8.45 a.m. Pacific Time. The topic for today is social collapse, which is maybe not a very attractive idea to think about, but it is important because we're going through that right now. You can see signs of it. If it's not touching your life personally, which it might be, it could be touching those close to you, or you can see it if you venture not far from your home. We have a medical system that is not handling a pandemic as well as we might expect it to have or hoped it would have. Um, in part because people are not following directives from the Center for Diseases Control, and that's because they don't trust the medical establishment or even the political establishment, maybe even more so the political establishment. We see growing homelessness, which you can probably see not far from home. I know here I can, within a short walk, see people camping out or living in tiny homes that the city has provided. Uh, people are finding it difficult to pay rent, to stay in their housing, and people are seeing looming deadlines for evictions now that assistance for rent uh, either has uh, dried up or has not reached them in the first place, and uh, government bans on evictions are being lifted. So we're going to see more of a housing crisis, costs. Uh, people being evicted, backlog of rent, people being unable to pay it. Uh, we see attempts to intimidate government officials, people bringing arms into school board meetings and shouting down folks and threatening people, threatening elected officials at all levels. Uh, of course, we saw on January 6th an attempt to overthrow the elected government, or depending on your perspective, a successful cheating of the presidential election. I believe the former is true, but enough people believe that there's something wrong with the presidential election that we have a great deal of anger in the country. So we have all these signs that social systems and the educational system also comes to mind. Uh, it was in distress, just like the medical system was in distress before the pandemic came. But that's just showing the cracks and asseverating the problems. Uh, people don't know from week to week whether their kids are going to be in school or what the um, requirements for being in school are going to be. So we have all these social systems collapsing. And the big question is, where is this heading? I think backing up for a minute, it didn't just start with the pandemic, and it didn't just start with the um, contended presidential election. I think the social collapse has been in process 
for decades at least, um, since the 1980s at least. And what I mean by social collapse here is a process in which people lose faith in the institutions organizing their lives together. Now the primary institution is the political economic system. And in the United States, we tend to think of those as separate, but they both depend on each other. Particularly the economic system depends upon the force of government for things like determining property rights and labor relations with those who are providing capital. So it's one system, although it has different components to it that are talked about as though they're separate, but this whole political economic system, uh, when people begin to lose faith in that and their life, their lives, the conditions of their life worsen over time and seem like they're on a trajectory to get worse. That is their ability to take care of themselves and their families and provide the uh, needs and comforts of life that we've come to expect. If people see their life prospects declining and it continues over time, those two things, lack of faith in our governing institutions, in our organizing institutions, and the decline of living standards, when those two things start hitting enough people, then you have social decline. You have people beginning to push back, no longer trusting that the government institutions are gonna correct themselves or find a better path, um, no longer believing the promises that change is on its way they start to resort to things like uh, taking things into their own hands and trying to assert some kind of control over their lives, being confused as to which direction they, they're going in. So if the public is divided among different paths towards correcting the situation, it ends up with a lot of conflict, a lot of hostility and breaks in society. So we're seeing that process and we've been seeing that for a long time because living standards have been declining for a significant share of the public and it's reaching more and more people for decades and trust in government has been declining over decades not only the each of the two political parties being distrusted by other folks but a lot of folks distrusting both political parties and the system in general so the decline in trust and the declining living standards are resulting in this escalating crisis now where is this headed? That's the key question, of course. I think it can only result in one of three, um, one of three results. <laughs> the end point is one of three possibilities. The first one is total social collapse, which has happened to other countries, could possibly happen to our own. Uh, that would be a state in which things become so difficult that the, the ways that people try to organize their lives together to provide for our needs are falling apart so rapidly and people don't know how to get what they need or how to work together with other people to get what they need, that you have major um, change in the way we are trying to live. You could have violence, you could have uh, breakup of political systems, difficulty finding food, power going off all the time, the things we see in other countries when the social system collapses. And the final collapse really is when the 
previous institutions cease to exist and the country is overtaken by another more powerful country that comes in to restore order or just swallowed up by another country or breaks up into smaller countries, something like that. So you have a breakup of the former political institution. So that's one possibility, collapse and just being swallowed up or in some way just ceasing to exist and changing totally into a uh, being incorporated into some other kind of state. Uh, the second possibility is a revolution. And by revolution, I don't necessarily mean changing government by violent means, although revolutions do happen that way. By revolution, I mean more specifically a fundamental change in the governing institutions. Uh, that also has happened in other countries, hasn't happened in our country really for a couple hundred years, unless you count the big changes of the Civil War. But I think that was more of a readjustment, a very serious readjustment than a revolution. Revolution is a fundamental change in the uh, governing institutions, the economic and political institutions. Now that's a possibility here, but I think that is a pretty grim possibility as well because as far as I'm concerned, the only forces that have coalesced to a degree sufficient to change our way of governing ourselves are forces on the far right, that is fascism. Whether it's at the hands of Donald Trump or somebody else who steps into his place, the principle of fascism is simply asserting control according to some kind of hierarchy. So you have somebody on top who gives orders to those below, who gives orders to those below, who gives orders to those below, and this is enforced through violent means and intimidation and threats. And usually the hierarchy is also based on some kind of, uh, some other kind of class divisions other than who has power, such as white over people of color or men over women and et cetera. So the, that's the only organized force that I see that is capable of changing our system from one in which it was previously, which is essentially a uh, capitalist liberal system with some democratic elements and some citizen protections to one that's out and out fascism where rights uh, to elect our own government are simply done away with and control is asserted from the top down through violence and threats and uh, imprisonments and things like that things we've seen happen in other country and i don't think too many people would believe I'm exaggerating today after having seen what we've seen. Although some people may think the threat has passed. I don't think it has passed at all. We're not beyond it. It could happen again. Uh, Republicans in many states are vigorously working to set the stage for a comeback of Trump and a, uh, a way to overturn any election that elects somebody other than Trump or a Trump clone a strongman type of personality that can assert control over a declining situation in the hopes that somehow it's gonna get better, at least for the group that's on top or thinks it's going to be on top. So revolution isn't a very attractive prospect because I don't think it will change the fundamentals of our system that need changing. If we had an organized left, to me that would be more promising, 
not to institute what people usually think of as a socialist system, which would be something along the lines of what we've seen in the Soviet Union or other communist nations, which is very similar to fascism in the sense that it's controlled from the top down and are restrictions of political rights. Excuse me. But in the sense of what the socialists originally aspired to, which was a more free society and one in which workers had control over their own working lives and state violence was uh, passing away. So I don't see the left as organized to be able to do this, despite the fears of uh, people on the right that communists or Antifa or somebody is setting the stage to take over. I don't see much prospect of that. I think a fascist takeover is much more likely. What is the third option then? The third possibility is that there is a significant readjustment in our political economic system, not a total change of the fundamentals, as would be with something that did away with democracy or did away with capitalism, but a fundamental um, but not a fundamental change in those institutions so much as it just a readjustment of the current situation. And that would be more represented by something like the progressive movement in the United States that Bernie Sanders led in the last two presidential elections that would be trying to change the course of government policy in regards to the situations that are causing problems for people, but not changing the fundamentals of the system. No, I think that kind of, you might call it a course correction without fundamental um, change, would buy time at best in my mind. Uh, but buying time is a good thing if your other prospects are total collapse or a fascist takeover. Buying time would be a significant improvement over those options. Now you have division though within the so-called left if you regard folks in the Democratic Party who are not exactly on board with the progressive vision, moderates or centrists like Joe Biden, what's happening there is they're simply trying to hang on to power in hopes that things can stay the same without a fundamental adjustment. And that's a pretty vain hope in my mind. And you can see this playing out in the Biden administration. They came in with the sense that they would get things under control, the economy, the pandemic and the rest. Yet, it's gone on and it's gotten worse. All those problems uh, seem to be getting worse. So there's going to be a lack of faith in that. Um, it was already in tatters and not too many people believed in it, but we gave it a chance and it doesn't seem to be working. So we could be heading towards something else. Uh, the progressive forces, on the other hand, they are in a dilemma because they're not they face a political system which has systematically tried to shut out challenges to those in power. Over time, uh, political parties have the, the, the two dominant political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats under the neoliberal regime since uh, the, Bill Clinton first became president, the Democratic Party shifted to a whole different way of organizing itself, where it was much more reliant on corporate donors, even though that had been part of its history all along. But now that, that party in power is one that's totally reliant on corporate sponsors, and it tries to shut out through various means of its own party rules and, and the laws that it's put in place regarding elections and ballot access and all that, tried to shut out any challenge 
from the left, which would, I think, I think the left um, is another possibility, which is more hopeful, because in, to me, capitalism is the primary problem. Capitalism, a system in which the motive for, for primary economic institutions is to gain profit for investors rather than dealing with social problems like the uh, economic um, decline of the working class or the uh, environmental catastrophe that's already in process. Uh, it's, capitalism is not geared toward dealing with social uh, issues. It's geared toward making a profit for investors. And it's doing that well. The people at the top who already have a great deal of wealth are getting much wealthier. In the meantime, we're dealing with this social collapse from uh, increasing climate crises and uh, decline of the economic standards of the rest of the population and so forth that I already mentioned. So capitalism to me is the fundamental problem and the folks on the left are divided between whether we can significantly reform capitalism, which would be the position that I would regard as progressive and that Bernie Sanders was represented, re representing, that is, you don't have to change the capitalist system itself, you simply have to put it under more control, regulate it better, um, skim some money off the top in tax, in the form of taxes to redistribute it to people who are uh, suffering or in need. So a bunch of social welfare programs to help people, um, higher taxes, uh, regulating businesses. These types of things, going back to the New Deal, have always been a part of the um, Democratic Party's DNA. They've turned their back on it since the Clintons were in office to some degree, but now Bernie Sanders was trying to bring that back. So there's a significant progressive force trying to do that. Uh, I think the most hopeful thing that can be done is trying to, number one, assist the progressive forces in making a fundamental readjustment, which would mean organizing all those on the left that uh, are skeptical of the extent of this program and would like to see more fundamental change and organize and bringing in more people to back that kind of a program. I think there needs to be a shift in the way the program is presented and in the way the so-called left organizes itself in order to overcome the obstacles placed in its way by our electoral and party system. Uh, so that's the direction I think we need to go. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you would agree with me. The question is now, what would be the strategy for bringing these forces together? And what would be a program that would be more attractive beyond the folks who are already buying into it to those who are dissatisfied and um, skeptical of that program? Uh, those are the things I want to talk about in future episodes. But for now, I'd like to see if anyone's out there and uh, give you a chance to chat with me. I see just uh, so far one person. You still out there? <laughs> Are you with me? I can't tell looking at the chat what the time was, hey, how do you course correct when there's so much division over which way to turn?
the division is, um, it really has two sides to it. I think the left and right continuum is has some accuracy in the sense that on the right, you have this turn towards fascism, and on the left, you have this turn towards some kind of readjustment in the uh, system that we have. There's a lot of agreement among people. I think what they knew, need to do is get together around a program that is more simple and easy for folks to understand, that allays some of the concerns that people have about the type of program that's being proposed, and that helps to helps to helps people to find a way in their local situation that's best geared toward moving their politics in the in the direction that they're trying to go in. That is, in some states, third parties have an important role to play. In some states, changing electoral systems has an important role to play. And in other states, working within the Democrat Democratic Party would be the way to go. I think <clears throat> Excuse me. The problem is that everybody's been trying to impose one model for all parts of the United States. That is, we need to get everybody on board with a third party, or we need to get everybody on board with joining the Democratic Party, or we need to get everybody on board with changing the electoral system. I think it has to be a strategy of having a program that people agree to, but then having different pathways towards making that happen in your own state. Is that making sense so far? Do you see the focus on who, what group should wield that power is a distraction to the work at hand? Well, if you mean by what group, like which faction, this is, yeah, I think that's definitely uh, the situation. What I would like to see is to organize not another institution like a party or a particular um, group where that has a membership or get behind a particular cause, but a network of people that have similar concerns starting to talk about a common uh, a set of principles that, not, not principles, but a common policy program to pursue uh, that's relatively restricted to the most important items. So it's a clear set of um, ideas that you can present to the public and not a host of ideas. And then to be in, in conversation with each other about how to pursue this in different localities to give advice and to report on the situation. So really what it is would be creating one network with one vision and strategies that are tailored to individual situations, giving a great deal of freedom for people to improvise how to go forward but coming together around a common vision. Now, what I mean by common vision, hopefully you can get people on the left who are skeptical of uh, the, let's, let's just do the uh, reformist agenda and not move further. You can get those people on the left to see that our only hope for buying time right now is to buy into a incremental adjustment strategy uh, rather than looking to move things in a further direction. And also people on the left who are divided between whether you should work in a political party or not. Um, they have different ideas about what we're trying to achieve. 
But I think if the progressive forces adjust their program to make it look more like we're moving in that direction, and by this, what I would mean is adopting things like uh, part of the program to work toward is workplace democracy. That would bring in a lot of people on the further left who are split off into third parties or just not having any hope for the political system. And on the, on the more, what, centrist or moderate side, I think you have to trim down the package of proposals that's being presented. If you're talking about a whole spectrum of things, like not only uh, environmental protection, but uh, you know, universal child care and parental child support and health care for all and student debt relief. I think too many things on the agenda makes it confusing, also scares people with the sense that this is going to cost a tremendous amount of money, which it probably would. And then the various people that are benefited from separate types of programs are going to be fighting over who gets the funding. So I think here is where universal basic income makes sense because it helps everybody to some degree and they can put their money towards whatever their particular needs are. So adjusting a program to uh, include something like a universal basic income and folding a lot of other separate ideas into that helps you to make that argument for uh, raising money in a way that everybody who needs something benefits without scattering it in a way that's divisive to the groups that want some support or um, in the minds of the people who are considering this, looking at does the government have the capacity actually to run all these programs successfully as opposed to having just one fairly simple program of taxing folks and then sending out checks to everybody. So in that sense, it's, it's discussing a policy program that's more simple, uh, less complex, and shows that it's moving in a direction that's going to eventually address the need for fundamental change and not simply stop with the idea that we can uh, go back to the New Deal and assume that that's going to fix things. Uh, the, the world has moved on since then. We no longer live in a primarily national economy. We live in a global economy. Our adjustments here are not going to be met by adjustments in other parts of the world. Um, so that's what I'd say. Yeah. This what the party gets support. Yeah. I, th I think if you can organize a network of people with a common vision and they are finding that the Democratic Party is not responsive, they could put pressure from the outside through other parties. Uh, so it would be both utilizing those people who are in other parties to put pressure on the Democratic Party and those who want to work within the Democratic Party to organize for electing people in primaries who represent this kind of combined program. The, the advantage of the UBI, as opposed to a host of other programs, is in part that you can make a case that's, um, you can focus on making the case for one thing and fighting all those stereotypes at once, instead of trying to make a case for this program and make a case for that program, make a case for that program. When you have a host of programs, what inevitably what happens is people say, well, we can't afford all these, so we should just focus on these. That satisfies the people who will be benefited from those programs, but not all the other folks who give up and feel like their needs are not being addressed. So UBI has the advantage of being a program that gives benefits to everybody. And if you just fight for one program and 
make the case for why uh, the, the supposed downside of this uh, would not pan out the way people fear. If you just focus on that, it's much easier than focusing on a host of other programs. Well, at this point, I think I'm going to tie this up and maybe try to edit it down, um, see what happens next week. I may even try to reshoot it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being there, uh, for having the support of this one person who was willing to get up early and join me in this and in this dialogue. Uh, I hope other people join in next week. I really uh, want to keep this going. I love having somebody to interact with. And uh, I will be back next week to consider some of these questions and maybe clarify them and uh, hopefully be better prepared to get this thing on in time and working order. Thanks for being with me. Bye.